You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast, where each fortnight we chat about dealing with those pesky weeds. Welcome to another Weed Smart Podcast. This week we're actually doing it in person. Pete joins me at UWA. We're in the video conferencing room recording the podcast. And yeah, it's been really great to have him. He's been here for Perth Updates. How are you going, Pete? Yeah, great, Jess. Yes, it is much easier to do these things in person, face to face. Yeah, and we've got, yeah, obviously a good microphone rather than a phone line. So that's very exciting. Now, today on the podcast, we are going to get a bit of a rundown about the highlights in terms of weed control that have come out of the GRDC up updates across the country. Pete, you've spoken at a few events over East and you've spoken at the Perth updates. So uh, we'll be talking about some uh, work that Michael Walsh has done in terms of chaff lining, as well as looking at strip and disc systems and how they might work in WA as well as more broadly across the country. And we're also going to talk about the weed chipper because that has a commercial partner now. We'll reveal a bit more information about that later in the podcast. At the end, we're going to get an update on those rain conditions in WA but also in the northern region where they've got really good rainfall in some of the areas and that's uh, really made a difference to uh, the farming systems over there which have been experiencing drought for the last couple of years. But let's kick off with what you presented at Updates in Perth. Can you just give us a bit of a broad overview initially of what you were talking about at Updates? Yeah, Jess, well, I did something on harvest weed seed control, which we've done a lot on over a number of years, but there's still new stuff to talk about, amazingly. And yeah, I was presenting some of Mike Walsh's research, uh, what he's done with chaff lining and, and with measuring the efficacy of the different mills, as well as having a look at those costs of harvest weed seed control and helping growers make that decision based on good rational arguments. All right, well, let's get into the details of some of that research. Maybe let's start off by, uh, yeah, evaluating what you were talking about in terms of chaff lining because there were some really interesting results that came out of that research. Can you, uh, can you allude to a little bit more to what you were talking about? Yeah, well, I showed some research by Michael Walsh and John Broster. They went and measured chaff lining. So they had a harvester in the field harvesting a crop with some ryegrass in it. They put pasture cages in there over the chaff lines so that they got plus and minus grazing over summer. And what they found was at the Straight at harvest, as soon as the harvester had gone through, they, they collected some samples and found that there was 2,237, I think, ryegrass in a metre of chaff line. And then they went back and measured that again the following autumn, just before the crop went in. And they found that there was only about 300 ryegrass per metre of chaff line left after a dry summer. So they hadn't rotted. Uh, we think ants probably predated them. And so that's a lot of seed going missing. And that result was fairly similar for grazed or ungrazed. And then they followed it through to in crop. So then obviously the normal herbicides go out and so on. The crop was sown. And what the sort of theory was is when you have sheep grazing chaff lines, they knock them around uh, and reduce that mulching effect. Do we get more weeds germinate? And that is what they found. They found about, I think, 80 per metre of chaff line germinate and only seven in the ungrazed. So pretty remarkable results, Jess, to go, start with 2,200 and 37 seeds in that chaff line and then only have seven of those come up in crop is pretty remarkable. So sort of cherry-picking a really good result here, <laughs> but, uh, but pretty remarkable result for chaff lining. Yeah, it's pretty amazing stuff. And so in terms of the research that's now out there on chaff lining, what would your suggestions be to people who are considering using this practice? 
Yeah, well, we do need to look at this in context with other research as well. And after I'd presented, Catherine Borger from DPIRD said, oh, I've actually got some chaff lining figures. I haven't put them out yet. Some were as good as that and others were not. They didn't get much seed predation over summer at all. So I'm looking forward to seeing Catherine. I think she's measured it uh, in nine situations in WA. So really good to just keep looking at a range of results. And when I did my presentation, I talked about how Seth Godin says people like us do things like this and talked about and so he's a marketing guy and talks about how people sort of already have a preconception of what products they want to buy or use and so on and same with harvest weed seed control so some farmers sort of think well I'm the sort of farmer that welds something up in the shed and then I get into it that way and others uh, know I buy the latest and greatest new gadget and so Depending what sort of a farmer you are, if you are the chaff lining type, because that's what you're predisposed to doing, there's we're now seeing some good data to back that up. But on the other hand, we've also got good data on the mills as well, Jess, for farmers that are that way inclined. So it doesn't really matter which way you're going down. We've got good options for you and now good data and good costs on, on comparing all of those options. Yeah, it's very exciting. And like you mentioned there, you did also talk about harvest weed seed control mills and there's more mills in the space now. We've got the Weed Hog. You mentioned the Tech Farm Weed Hog, which is now uh, going to be coming out and commercially available in the near future. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you talked about in terms of the mills? Yeah, well, I showed Michael Walsh's research once again. So Mike has been out measuring the efficacy of the different mills. He measured some in the field back in 2017, comparing a Terminator versus hydraulic HSD. Found that I think the HSD was 95% kill and that Terminator was 99. Uh, he's also measured the vertical HSD and that was 98% kill in the field, I think, Jess. And Lance Turner's single HSD uh, single mill, uh, which Lance made in a project with De Bruin Engineering, uh, and that was in that 94 to 96% kill. So sort of just more data coming in from all the different mills showing they all kill weeds. ReadyCop have put their mill out, and so far, as far as I understand, the testing's been done on canola seed, so they've advertised 98% kill, but it's on canola seed, and they're currently now putting more weeds through it, so we'll look forward to more data from ReadyCop. And the weed hog, we love that name, don't we? Good on Tech Farm for having a bit of fun and putting a, a good name to their, their product. The weed hog, completely different mill design. The other three that I mentioned, they're really quite similar. The weed hog's completely different design. You'll have to see a photo of it to understand it. But that is going to be an 80% plus kill mill, it looks like at the moment, but cheaper in that fifty dollars to $60,000 range. Yeah, no, that's really exciting that it looks like it's going to be a lot more accessible in terms of price. And yeah, really great to see that there's more data coming out in terms of all the kills of the weed seeds. It just, yeah, obviously makes people feel more secure about making a big investment like into mill technology because overall it is a bit of a pricey investment. Was there any other highlights from the presentation that you would like to share? You went into quite a bit of detail about this, but any highlights that you'd like to share with the listeners, Pete? Well, probably the other bit that I covered was about the cost, Jess, and we've made that spreadsheet, which we talked about before, featured in the September RE Insight, but you've now put that spreadsheet on the WeedSmart website for farmers to download and put in their own area, yield, number of harvesters, etc., and then they can get an accurate cost per hectare of the different all of the different harvest weed seed control tools. So if someone's thinking about, you know, maybe they're weighing up one tool or another, or they want to just rationally justify the decision they've already made, which is what we often do, uh, that, that tool is there to download. 
Yeah, and I'll put a link with the podcast notes as well. So it's super easily accessible for everyone who's listening and wants to go find that link. Now, Pete, you didn't just talk about Harvest Weed Seed Control. You also spoke on a different topic. You talked about strip and disc farming systems. Now, why was this a topic that you talked about? Let's just get into that first because it's something that we have covered in the eastern states a bit more and we have done stuff on strip and disc, but in WA it's not as popular and, and there's not the uptake that we see over east, is there? Yeah, that's right, Jess. We've talked about it a lot. And Greg and Kiralee Condon, who work with us with Weed Smart, are probably the Australian experts in terms of agronomists on strip and disc. I think Kiralee actually named it. And so they've been very helpful to me, providing me a lot of info. And it really came up as a topic to present at the crop updates and everybody pointed at each other. I ended up doing the presentation, uh, but I was really happy to. Greg and Kiralee gave me a lot of material and I spoke to a lot of growers. And the reason why is... Well, we are on a pattern of slightly declining rainfall over the years with slightly more summer rain and slightly less winter rain in Western Australia. David Stevens put out some good data on that a couple of years ago. And I know we don't generally have wet summers in WA, but that is the trend. And also just that autumn rainfall to get a crop out of the ground is getting harder and harder. So we really need, as the seasons get drier, we need to make more use of every last millimetre of rainfall and particularly that summer rain. And that's what the strip and disc farming system is really all about, particularly for us in the west is, and really it is in the east too, but making more use of the rain that we are getting. Yeah, I do joke with my partner, Rick, that when he moved from the Gold Coast, he brought the humidity and weather conditions of the Gold Coast over to Perth in the last few years. And so we are facing different weather conditions. But in terms of how it might work in a WA farming system, could you go into a little bit of detail about how strip and disc might work here? Yeah, well, there's only about three or four, maybe five strip and disc farmers in WA at the moment, Jess. Uh, WA is Tyne farming system. Everyone uses tines and press wheels pretty much, knife points and press wheels to seed crops. Disc seeders haven't been popular and I don't think we've had the right disc seeder in the past for our soils. I think we are starting to see uh, better disc seeders around now so they're becoming more possible but also we've done a lot of soil amelioration so there's a lot of spading, mouldboard ploughing, deep ripping controlled traffic and those paddocks now I think, this is my theory anyway, I think can handle a, a disc seeding system now whereas when they were non-wetting compacted sands with acidity I'm not sure that the disc was going to be very successful but with that amelioration I think it's quite possible and so we have challenges in WA that are probably different to the east where uh, we've got to make disc seeders work on sandy soils I'm sure we can do it but because we have so much down the time focus um, there's just not a great deal of experience with getting the disc seeding system working first so that is challenge number one and growers that are getting into it have really taken up that challenge and are doing a great job. Pete, farmers over east have had a lot of success with the strip and disc system and lots of positive reviews from over there. But in terms of adoption and how it could work here, what's next for WA to see if it's a possibility over here? Yeah, I guess the purpose of my talk, Jess, was really to raise awareness about it and hopefully let's get some research happening in this area. So I wasn't really suggesting growers drop their time machine and go out and get straight into this strip and disc farming system immediately. But let's start to investigate it and see if we can make 
uh, use of extra moisture? Can we store more summer moisture and improve our water use efficiency? So I was pretty cheeky. The title of my presentation was Can We Double Water Use Efficiency with Strip and Disc? I was trying to flush out a crowd <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> but um, we maybe we can't double it, but can we improve it significantly? I think we can. But yeah, if what's coming next is really just watch this space and hopefully some uh, some good research coming and a few more farmers taking it up and making a go of it. So really, it was really an awareness thing. Yeah, no, I think that's really valuable. And yeah, anything to get a crowd really, Pete. I mean, there was a presentation called Plant Sniffer. So <laughs> I think you're well in your rights to have that presentation title. All right, let's move on from the strip and disc discussion and move into another exciting mechanical weed control tactic, which has become available. We're going to have a little bit of a discussion about the weed chipper. They announced their commercial partner the other day. Precision Agronomics Australia is going to be the commercial partner. So we're going to see the commercial availability of the weed chipper. Now, if you're not familiar with the weed chipper, it was developed by Dr. Andrew Gazomi from University of Western Australia from the School of Engineering, and he developed that alongside his colleague, Dr. Carlo Perasini, and others from University of Sydney. Michael Walsh was heavily involved in it. And to paint a bit of a picture of the weed chipper, it uses rapid response times, which behave like mechanical hose, and coupled with commercially available sensing technology, it helps detect and then chip out the weeds. And it's quite fun to see it going along and chipping out weeds. It's, it's very visual. Pete, can you give us a little bit more background on how the concept of the weed chipper actually came about? Yeah, Andrew told the story and I think Lisa Mayer was there from Weed Smart where they were on a trip to Queensland and they were walking across a paddock and Ray Harrington noticed the farmer sort of walking around and as he went he'd steer towards a, a weed and kick it out with his boot and then sort of walk towards another weed and kick that out and Ray... You know, the, the light bulb went off, Jess, in his head and thought that's what we need to do, team up the green on brown cameras with a chipping tine and that's exactly what they've done. So, yeah, we've spoken a bit about it in the past. I think the listeners probably know a bit about the weed chipper. What's uh, exciting now is that there is a commercial partner and pretty soon farmers will be able to buy one, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. And so, and we've sort of mentioned how it works. It basically is just chipping weeds out and it's using that sensing technology. What are the benefits of using a machine like this, Pete? I guess it's that mechanical second knock. I think we're going to think about it. I think in a lot of, particularly for the summer fallow system or any fallow system really, but I'm thinking largely where we've had probably a spray of fallow herbicide and we have those perhaps resistant survivors or survivors because of conditions, we can use a non-chemical tool to go and, and chip them out. And yeah, I guess it's just watch this space, but yeah, it should be available in the near future. And, and as we get more information about it, we'll definitely reveal that information on the podcast so that you kept up to speed with it. But overall, really good updates. What's some of the highlights overall that have uh, popped up for you, Pete? Because you've gone to a few events now over the last few weeks. Any highlights? Yeah, you alluded to the plant sniffer, actually, Jess. All the stuff. So that was a lady talking about how when plants get sick, so they get a disease, they emit a smell, for <laughs> want of a better word, and they've developed technology that can sense that and work out what diseases are present. And also there was other people working in that space where, you know, they've got these, well, let's call it a box, but it's obviously a bit more <laughs> high-tech than a box, but it sits in the paddock, solar-powered, sucks in some air, measures the spores that are, the disease spores that are in the air, and then gives an early warning on uh, on disease treatment. So that was some of the interesting stuff. So the other thing, Jess, was that, fellow from the UK, was it Keith? Uh, he talked about how many products they've lost, 80 
chemicals in the last five years, 850 chemicals in the last 30 years, I think, and a list of about 50 that they're looking to lose. So that made me feel pretty good about uh, farming in Australia, actually. Uh, I know that we are at threat of losing some products, but, gee, we're nothing nothing like they've experienced in the UK. Yes, definitely. Yeah, it's been a great update so far and obviously lots of events still to come. But, Pete, let's shift focus now. We're going to have a little bit of a chat about just weather conditions across Australia. We do have an interview with Andrew McFadgen coming up. He is an independent agronomist. He's the director of McFadgen Agricultural Consulting and he gives us a bit of an overview on the northern region and an update on the rains that they've been getting and how that might impact weed numbers and, and the weed burden in that region. But Pete, can you give us a little bit of an overview of the conditions in the west? Yeah, thunderstorms, Jess. It's remembered how to rain again. It's uh, lovely. It's so nice to see a summer thunderstorm. And uh, the deep rippers are rolling now. So particularly the sand plain farmers that like to deep rip, they didn't get much of a go at it the last couple of years because they had very dry summers. So there's a lot of diesel burning out there right now and pretty soon they'll be spraying as well. So all systems go on the on the, on a lot of WA farms. I'm sure not everybody's had that level of rain, but you know, there's a lot of people with that sort of two inches of rain. So um, yeah, promising signs, and hopefully we enter this uh, this season with some stored stored moisture for a change. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, it was exciting to see the storm roll through yesterday. I had my mum and my partner calling me constantly asking if I wanted to be picked up, but I rode my bike through it. So, Hardcore, <laughs> Jess. Hardcore. Yeah. All right. Well, let's listen to that interview with Andrew. He gives us that northern perspective. Obviously, they've been going through a lot of drought and a lot of the areas in the northern region have thankfully received some good rainfall. So he gives us a good overview. Let's take a listen, Pete. Let's take a listen. We're chatting with agronomist and director of McFadden Agricultural Consulting, Andrew McFadden. How are you going, Andrew? I'm well, thanks, Jess. How are you? I'm good. You're actually in WA at the moment, so that's pretty exciting. It's not often we get to speak with Eastern Coast people when they're in the state. So what are you here for? Uh, Jess, I've been over for a few things not actually in the grain industry this week. It's um, been doing a bit of work with uh, the Stonex Pastoral Company, and they're a waggy beef. Operations up yeah, in the right. pasture space, and today of all places lands me in Fremantle at the Industrial Hemp Conference. So definitely looking at uh, an emerging industry in that space. Yeah, you're broadening your horizons. But today we're going to chat to you about the weather conditions that the northern region has been experiencing over the last few weeks. Now, obviously, most people would be aware the northern region and other parts of Australia have been in severe drought conditions. Yeah, I just want to get a recap from your perspective of how those drought conditions impacted the region you're from, Andrew, just initially. So, Jess, just a bit of a background of the region I'm from. I'm from a small town called Lake Angelico, which is in the northern Riverina, or right on the edge of the central west of New South Wales. We've been severely impacted by drought probably for the best part of two and a half years. Although in saying that, February, we've seen the most decent rainfall event that we've experienced probably in the last couple of years. So 46 mils for Feb has kick-started, I suppose, our first round of summer fallow sprays. My client group also extends up into northern New South Wales, so uh, they've received some pretty good rainfall. So Tamworth, 170 millimetres for February, Moree, 60, and then as far north as Toowoomba, they've had 194 millimetres for the month, and come back down to Dubbo, 77 mils. But southern New South Wales around Wagga have probably missed out to a degree. They've only had 18 mils, so you can nearly probably draw a line from the Lachlan Valley north 
where things have improved quite significant in February, but south of the Lachlan Valley, it's still rather tough and dry. Yeah, okay. And so in terms of the severity of these drought conditions, uh, what impact did they have on farmers in the region over the last few years, Andrew? Ground cover's been one of the major issues around, I suppose, most of the northern region. Just that ability, you know, to store and capture moisture. Well, it hasn't rained, for starters, but the lack of ground cover and the loss of ground cover, coupled with, you know, windy conditions, dry drought conditions, have seen a lot of paddocks suffer wind erosion. So there's been some mitigation in terms of strategic cultivation to try and mitigate that. In terms of what's happening right now, obviously it's been a, a massive flush of weeds mm. um, post the rain. So a lot of uh, a lot of growers have probably got spray rigs out for the first time, you know, in uh, four to six months in some areas. Yeah. Okay. And there are talks of these rain events being drought breaking. What's your perspective on these comments, and and how will the moisture affect farmers in the region? Yes, I wouldn't say they're drought breaking in any way, shape, or form. It's still you know February and can still get quite warm. I'm thinking it's a great start. I think the importance now for us as consultants and also growers and farmers is to be, you know, obviously very diligent on, on weed control. Probably not hitting the go button too early is what I've been talking to my client base about, like waiting for that true flush of weeds to come before coming in and spraying. And just probably the little 101 tips that we've probably forgotten because we haven't done too much spraying. Yeah. In the medium term, you know, around, you know, just monitoring our water quality, our nozzle selection, and then, you know, that whole story around inversions, spraying at night and just, you know, getting ourselves all back up to speed. And I think that having that conversation with your, with your consultant um, around that is, is a good way to get started. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, in terms of weed control and weeds that are popping up, can you give us a little bit of an overview of what's happening in your region at the moment in terms of weeds that are really dominating the space at the moment and, and how you would advise people to go about uh, controlling them? Yeah, okay. Well, I suppose obviously the main thing is to, to have a target. So giving yourself enough time post-rainfall event to have an adequate target to put the herbicide out on. The weeds that have been quite prevalent in my patch, in particular being yellow vine, has really exploded. Melons have really you know, taken off as well. We're seeing a lot of, a lot of summer grasses, in particular, you know, zebra barnyard grass, liverseed grass further north take off. So, you know, most of that, those normal summer weeds that we see have really exploded given it's the first decent rainfall event and, you know, that flush of growth has been quite prevalent and the numbers that we're seeing at the paddock level have been very high as well. So, again, having those conversations around, you know, right rate, right mix, right water rates and quality, etc., is going to be awfully important in the order of getting a, a job that has great efficacy. Yeah, for sure. And are there any other comments around this topic, Andrew, before we let you go that you would like to make? I think the main thing is just probably not to forget, you know, there's a whole story around the use of phenoxies if we're using them, given that we haven't really had the pressure over summer in terms of timing and timeliness to get the job done in a timely manner. We want to make sure that we don't drop the ball on the good work that the industry's done in terms of managing spray drift to susceptible, you know, crops. I think, you know, just reinforcing that across the industry is going to be very important moving forward in terms of, you know, getting the best use out of our chemicals and still having available on the shelf to use. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. Really appreciate you taking the time out of the hemp 
conference that you're at <laughs> in the morning tea break. Really appreciate it. And fingers crossed that the conditions for more rainfall continue and, and everything uh, sort of turns around. Really yeah. hope for the best for everyone. Yeah, well, we've got Southern New South Wales are the ones that have missed out. So it's, it's far from broken, but we're heading in the right path, Jess. Thank you. Thank you very much to Andrew McFadgen there for giving us an overview of the northern farming region and how they're going with the rainfall that they've been receiving and, uh, yeah, really good to get an update and obviously really important to keep on top of the weed burns that come up in when you get things like summer rain. It's obviously something you need to be considering. Pete, any words of wisdom for the people in the west? Well, it's a pain in the neck to have to go spraying summer weeds, isn't it? It is a job and it's a costly job, but it is worthwhile because it's all about storing that moisture for this following crop, Jess. So, yeah, you know, we've seen a bit over the recent years from Colin McMaster talking about that return on investment, that $8 return on investment per dollar spent on summer weed control and getting in there nice and early spraying small summer weeds. So I'm sure, you know, from what I've seen, our WA farmers are well aware of that and they'll be on to them very soon. Yes, definitely. And Pete, we actually had you here today, not just to record the podcast, but also to record the intros and the outros for our Crop Competition 101 Diversity Era course, which is coming out very soon. Shannon, our communication officer, is putting all the finishing touches on the editing. And so we're looking at that being released in March. Can you just give us a little bit of an overview of what people can expect from the course? Yeah, well, crop competition's a topic that people have heard me bang on about a lot, Jess, over the years. Uh, I really believe in it because it is that tool that can be used across your whole farming program and it affects every weed and it helps the other tools. It helps our pre-em herbicides, it helps our post-em herbicides and it helps harvest weed seed control. So, yeah, crop competition, of course, it's great. I've probably made a bit of noise about us filming that one next. Uh, and, yeah, we've got really good help from Gurjeet Gill, from John Broster, Catherine Borger, Michael Witterick. So, team of experts from around the country to talk about what they know about crop competition and, and how to maximise it as part of your Weed Smart Big Six, Jess. Exactly. And just make sure you're following us on Facebook, Twitter, sign up to the Weed Smart blog and you'll be the first to know when that course is available. It is free. So, yeah, good opportunity to really get some good information on a really important topic. That's just about it for our podcast this week, though. Thanks so much, Pete. Thanks, Jess.